Hi friends, I'm Olivia. And I'm Katie. And we are Podcast by Proxy. Welcome. We're live. Whoa, we got it in song today. <laughs> yes. Um shit i was just gonna tell you something and i forgot oh i remembered this is our first no that's next this is our first time recording when i have my new chair oh there's no squeak there's no squeak you just made my life so much better so everybody i bought myself a new office chair for christmas kind of for katie mostly for my back i do use it all day for other things too so i'm very excited we all know my other chair sucked. It was very loud and squeaky and had so no loud. support. And this one is one of those fancy like secret lab gaming chairs. I got the Batman one. I should post it on the Instagram story. I haven't shown Duh. everybody. I'll do that. Yeah. I'll do that later. Um, anyway, that's that was my big news. Okay. Yeah. I love that chair. I mean, I've seen it many times. Well, okay, so I the was other for the ride. The other thing we were talking about, Katie mentioned my book now, so I feel like I feel obligated to tell the story. Katie said that apparently you're supposed to pick up the nearest book to you or the book that you're reading and go to page 30 and the first sentence is like an homage to what your 2022 is going to be like. So, Bime says her mother held up flashcards with simple math problems on them. I think you're either going to take a math class or learn tarot cards more. Oh, maybe. Yeah, that could be fun. But what like I was saying. cards, tarot cards. Is that in this book, it's called The Brain That Changes Itself. It's about like brain science. They're talking a lot about just like neuroplasticity, basically. And different ways that you can like basically retrain parts of your brain that are weaker. So like me, for example, I Exercise am your brain. a lot yeah. Yeah, exactly. I am not great at math. I never have been. Thank you to the book for pointing this out for us. And there's different like exercises that you can do that aren't just like math related that train that part of your brain that kind of strengthen that area of your brain. For example, um, it's not for math, but there was one that was like tracing exercises was like really good for to strengthen this like one part. So anyway, I'm looking into that. So maybe I won't. I'll be. I'll be uh, training be a mathematician. my brain without even knowing it. Maybe. Anyway, that was really long-winded rant about my brain, but I am really into brain science. But and your like, brain is important, just as important as every other part of your body. I'm like more important than we give it credit for. Like it literally is just like the motherboard of our body. And it's just so, like, diverse, and we have so much more control over it than we truly believe. Like, I don't know. Anyway, that, this isn't a brain science podcast, but there is a podcast called The Brain Science Podcast, and if you're interested, you should check it out. It's very sciencey, but it's good. Very sciencey like can be good no matter what. Yeah, it's good. Anyways, how are you today? How is everyone? It's the new year. Yeah, new year, same us, bigger goals. We technically already put out an episode this year, but it was recorded in 2021, so this is technically our first recorded episode of 2022. It's our first sesh together now of this year. You said you had a story Although, for us before we... Oh yeah, it's a really short story. Okay. Right before we started recording for everyone, I told Olivia that I was going to take Frankie to, and this is going to sound bougie, but no, we're not rich by any means, to our neighbor's tennis court because they're elderly, they don't play tennis, there's no net, and we happen to get a foot of snow. It is super night. bougie, though. Like, it's a whole-ass tennis court right beside it's her It's a house. whole-ass tennis court. It really it's is. It's like his property. He's rich, but we're not. We just live yeah. next to him and use his shit. Yeah, the yeah. first time we came over, Brandon was like, what the f- There's a whole tennis court here. I was like, yeah, I know. Yeah. The people next door are bougie. Yeah, and they're, uh, they just don't use it anymore, so it's now full with a foot of untouched snow. Yeah, of course. So my mom and I took Frankie to play, and so now she's just comatose behind me on the floor. We have to, like, go through this little path between the houses 
and then cut through the driveway mm-hmm. to go into the tennis court. Obviously, it's on their property. That makes sense. And there's this lovely little path you take. But I had to walk around his car, and my mom was, like, 20 feet behind me. My mom comes around the corner, and I am, like, flat on my back in the snow. <laughs> oh, no. Are and you Frankie's okay? just Oh, yeah. I'm totally fine. I just fell into, like, fluffy snow. Okay. I was holding so i take a (laughs) basketball and take a little bit of air out of it so frankie has like a part to hold and that really tires her out to play with it's great she loves it but i had the basketball and i went to turn to throw it over the fence into the tennis court which is what i always do with her toys but as i turned one way to get some leverage she ran the other way so it was like my midsection just got taken out Oh my Because I had her on like a belt leash. I can just see you like so... flat on your ass and Frankie just like. Doo, doo, doo. Oh yeah, and then she's trying to steal the basketball from yeah, me. Yeah, she's still, still trying to play. And my mom comes around and I'm dying laughing on the ground, and Frankie thinks it's even funnier because I'm laughing, and my mom is like, "Where's my phone when I need it?" And obviously, I didn't tell her I had mine in my pocket. I wasn't gonna hand her my phone and let her what? leave me there. We want the content. Well, I think it was already weird enough that I was in my neighbor's yard and just being, like, on the ground. Yeah, fair than to, like, drag it out by intentionally staying on the ground so your, can mo- your mom can take a photo. <laughs> yeah, and there's something that feels very staged about it. If you yeah. fall and you're like, hold on, take my camera. And, yeah. Like, without take helping me up, it feels weird. It just, no, that's not me. Wait, before, before I get up, will you take my photo? That would be me. That's not you. That's me. Yeah, it just, it wouldn't have been weird if she was like, oh my god, I'm going to take your picture, and just was where she was. But it would be weird if she walked up to me, got my phone, left me on the ground, and just walked back and took a photo. I just think there's something weird about it. Oh, man. That is funny, but also sad for you. I don't like falling in the snow. It's cold. I was in fleece head to toe. Everyone, if you don't live here, we live on Vancouver Island, where we don't normally get snow, and we've had snow since before Christmas. We have consistently had snow since Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. I literally just got my car out and then it dumped again last night. So We have a freezing rainstorm warning this afternoon, which is interesting. Yeah, and remember I was all salty because the gyms were closed. I wouldn't have been going anyways. I can't get out of my driveway. So it's a good thing that I'm forced to work out in my living room. I think this because... is just Mother Nature telling everyone to calm their tits. Yeah, just like stay in your house. It's fine. Everything's fine. I know I said this last year, but I think every time something happens or something new comes up, like a variant or a natural disaster of some kind, I feel like it's just the world telling us that we just need to be a bit more patient. Y'all need to chill. And also what you were doing be having, before wasn't working. So maybe we should not be having crazy parties on airplanes. Did you see that? No, I didn't. But like that just reminds me, can we just shut down the cruise industry as a whole? Yep. Like, as an entirety, well, can we just call it a day? Cruises had their day. We're done with that going forward. Can you imagine know. getting stuck in the shoebox that is a cruise ship room because there's a COVID outbreak? It's just not What do I have with safe. me? What is the menu? Do I have Wi-Fi? The menu is trash because they only brought a certain amount of food for a... In a, on a boat and you're yeah. in the middle of the ocean the food is going moldy as we speak i just wondered if like helicopters or other boats were delivering food to them. no they're not hmm. then no i'm out it's not good like just shut just shut them down anyway we're getting very off topic we are talking about if you clicked on the episode today Dellen millard now Dellen millard is this entire case is get a notepad Get your notepad. Get a pen. I do. You're going to need some notes. This case has a lot of players. It has a lot of storylines. It ha- It's just a lot. Um, you're you're going to be not very happy. And we are going to have two parts. Uh, this is too long. There's too much to include to do it in one. So I have written it in two. I'm working on part two right now. I found a book, so I'm kind of like in that. Um, but yeah do you do do we have anything else to cover before we start no maybe just for any new listeners like follow subscribe we have patreon 
You can check out our link tree for links to anything, like case suggestions. Yep. Would love, I would love some new case suggestions, by the way. There's been a few that I've seen come through Instagram. Super appreciate it. At this point, just send them Mm -hmm. anywhere you want. Email, case suggestion list on Linktree. DM us on Instagram. Even if I don't reply, I do see everything and I write down case suggestions. Um, So, yeah. And although we have had um, some great responses so we do have some upcoming we are always looking for more promo swaps so if you have about a one minute uh, intro or promo that you have for your show that you want to broadcast it does not need to be true crime no please reach out to us we are more than happy to do a trade of a one minute mid-roll promo swap yeah we want to share the love share the love and bring our listeners new shows because I'm always looking for new shows. I feel like you cannot consume enough podcasts. It's insane. I don't get no. it. It's there's like no somebody. Shortage. I think it was you. You looked through my followed podcast list one day, and it's like 75 podcasts. And you're yeah, like, it was, why? It was overwhelming I'm like, because 30 of them did the same case, so yeah. that episode's out. You just you need to follow a lot to get a lot of variety. I find. Yeah. Also, I just want to say a huge thank you to everyone who's listened or downloaded to the Chris Benoit case. It's yes. been doing really well, and we're really excited about that. So we just really want to keep that trajectory. So if that's something you guys like, please let us know. We can do more sports crimes. Um, they likely will have to be from the states as well. Yeah. Because we will likely run out, and I also don't want to harp too much on Canadian athletes. Fair. All at once. It can be a little bullying, I think, at some points, kind of picking on them. Just like we don't pick on one province all at once. Well, and like, we're a all-encompassing true crime podcast. We're not going to niche down to sports, so they will be, you know, (laughs) they'll be sprinkled, sprinkled in. Anyways, okay, Dylan Millard. So, um, this case, we're going to start with Tim Bosma. So we're gonna go to May 6, 2013. It was a pretty I need to write name already. Whoa. Sorry. Oh, you have to I write was down like, a Whoa, name. I need to write down a name already? Yes. Jeez, I thought I had like a few seconds. No. Oy vey. Okay, let's do this. Whoa. May 6, 2013. It was a pretty ordinary day for 32-year-old Tim Bosma and his wife Charlene. Tim was a family man. Him and him and Charlene had a two-year-old daughter. He was trying to sell his black 2007 Dodge Ram. Um, It was like a one-ton diesel in an ad that he posted online. The Bosmas lived in Ancaster, which is a small community inside the city of Hamilton, Ontario. Hamilton had about 700,000 people living there in 2013, and Ancaster, as a like little sub-community inside of it, had around 33,000. So just for reference. Okay. The Bosmas were hoping to grow their family and they needed some extra money and the truck had kind of become more of a money pit than anything. On that day, two men had called Tim and arranged with him to take the truck for a test drive. They were supposed to be there at like 7 p.m. and by 7.30, the two men still hadn't arrived, but they called Tim once more to let him know that they were late, but they were on their way from Toronto and that they would be there. So he's like, okay. Now keeping in touch. Yeah, but it starts to get closer to 9 p.m. And Tim thinks it's pretty strange that somebody would want to test drive a truck so late. Like, who comes to test drive a vehicle at 9 o'clock at night? Also, I want to look at the vehicle. Right, exactly. (laughs) It's like, it's dark. So right before they get there, Tim asks his wife, Charlene, if he should go with them for the test drive when they get there. And Charlene's like, yeah, we want our truck to come back, so you definitely should go. And she said at the time that, like, her worst case scenario was losing the truck. Like, her worst case Mm -hmm. scenario was that the truck would get stolen. Yeah, nothing was going to happen to Tim. Yeah, so she's like, definitely go with them. We do not want our truck stolen. Yeah, like, they're going to crash it or not bring it back. Yeah. So finally at, like, 9.20, the two men arrived described as one tall and one short. Uh, The couple finds (laughs) it super weird because they arrived on foot. Like, they walked up to the house, and it wasn't really an area that you would walk to. One of the men told Charlene that they had been dropped off by a friend. It took us so long we walked here from Toronto. Literally. (laughs) 
Okay. Yeah, so one of the guys tells Fuck. Charlene that they were dropped off by a friend, but, like, still weird. So do you just assume that you're buying the truck then? Like, how are you getting home? Yeah. Like, wouldn't he wait 10 minutes or so for you to be like, okay, we're going to go take the test drive, come back in 30 minutes. Yeah. It's just strange. Like it's but... looking good. Yeah. Nope. Agreed. Agree, agree, agree. But they're like, we would love to sell this truck, so, like... You know, just go with the weirdos. and We we'll, put certain things yeah. aside sure. and justify them when we have something to gain in it as well, which they do, is the financial gain. So, I well, get Well, and as well as human beings, we tend to default to trusting people, right? Like, even mm-hmm. if there's red flags, we're like, mm, but. So, that's pretty normal. So, the three of the men leave to do the test drive, but after being gone for a whole hour, Charlene starts to get pretty worried. Like, 20 to 30 minutes tops would be reasonable for a test drive, but to be gone for a full hour, she knew that something was just not right. She tried calling Tim, and his phone went straight to voicemail. He also wasn't responding to any of her text messages, and she knew that Tim had charged his cell phone when he got home from work, which meant she also knew that it was charged and would not have died. Yeah, there's no reason for him to not at least be seeing the messages coming in. Yeah. Okay. Charlene reported Tim missing to police within a few hours of him not returning that evening, and the Hamilton Police Department came to the house and started searching pretty much immediately. They instantly treat Tim's disappearance as, quote, a missing persons investigation with unusual circumstances. There's a ground search done of the area around the Bosma's home with the assistance of a canine unit as well as local search and rescue. Hamilton PD officially labeled Tim as a missing person the next day on May 7th, 2013. And on May 8th, Charlene gave a heart-wrenching news conference with the police pleading for Tim's safe return. There was a massive community-wide effort to find Tim. This was all over the news, super widely known. Brandon's actually from Southern Ontario, like quite close to where this took place. And as soon as I said the name tim bosma he knew and remembered right away like did not know what i was talking about when i said i was writing Dellen millard and as soon as i said the word the name tim bosma he was like oh i know that case super widely known that's so sad yeah um because he's just like this small town family man trying to sell his truck for a quick buck for his family like yeah yeah. he's like he's selling his truck because he wants to have more children like it's not for It's for this really, like, sweet, wholesome reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's very wholesome. A social media campaign was launched, and community-wide searches were also conducted to find Tim. On May 9th, 2013, Tim's deactivated cell phone is found in an industrial area on the west side of Hamilton near Brantford. Police were able to uh, use... Oh, I dated someone from there. Really? There's so many random B-towns in Ontario, just, like, random side notes. Well, and there's... Like Bradford, Brantford, mm-hmm. and like Branford or something like that. Like they're all really close too, so it's really it's really annoying. But where yeah, are you from? where are you from? Police were able to use quite a bit of the data that they found on Tim's phone to assist their investigation. They first pulled the phone number of the person who called Tim to arrange the test drive. They learned early on that it was a burner phone, therefore they weren't able to get any ID of the person who may I'm have been Lindsay using it. Getting Lindsay Boosiak vibes here. The yeah, except for phone, set up a call appointment to look at a house. Yeah, fair. Like just that burner phone vibe. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Except for this okay. isn't okay. unsolved. Okay. okay. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Bring awareness to her case. Sign the petition. <laughs> just random insert. Uh, The police, they did, okay, so they can't ID the person who might have been using the phone because it's a burner. They did, however, pull the call records of the burner, and they figure out that it had also been used to call two other numbers and set up similar test drives within the, like, few days before Tim went missing. Do they, and you might get to this, but are they able to find out where the burner phone was at least purchased? No. No. They don't find out Just anything. at least then they could pull up some CCTV of where it was brought, you know. No. Uh, According to the Crime Junkie okay. episode, so I did ha- find my own research on the burner phone. Um, I couldn't find any of that. And according to the Crime Junkie episode that I listened to on this case, um, they weren't able to trace anything about the burner phone. Like, you can't trace location, credit card. You can set it up with a fake name. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. 
So the first test drive that they set up, the men were also late. So it never happened. They were like, oh, we're going to be three hours so late. Like and the person was like, sorry, late no. again and Exactly. Okay. Yeah. I agree. If someone's going to take an hour and a half of my time, that's bullshit. No. Then rebook for a different day when you can show up on time. Yeah. I mean, if you're home, whatever, sometimes shit happens. But like, pe- but I get people that do have lives and later and later. Right. So the roads are quieter, probably. It's darker out. There's less people. Yeah. The second I got one, suspicions. The second test drive happened in Toronto on May 5th, 2013, just one day before the men met with Tim. The police were able to speak with the man whose truck um, had been test-driven just one day prior, who described them in the same manner as Charlene, but provided a further detail that one of the men, the taller one, carried a small satchel and had a tattoo with the word ambition on his wrist. It's Oh thought- my god, they're hipster thieves. <laughs> It is thought that the man was, like, the man whose truck they were test driving was quite a bit yeah. larger. He was, like, a bigger, burlier dude uh, than both of the men, and they figured he would overpower them, so they didn't attempt to steal his vehicle. So they literally just test drove it, and then were like, no, you know, it's not for us. Yeah. They're, like, in the truck, they're like, oh, shit, this guy's going to kick our ass. you hear that noise? Uh, I think there's a weird noise. You know, I'm just, no. I got to go. I'm going to go. I'm gonna, I need to sleep on Thanks it. Thanks anyways. <laughs> yeah burner phone (laughs) so the police released the detail about the satchel and the tattoo to the public hoping for assistance in identifying at least the one man who they had this extra information on we are very ambitious that we can find him ambition oh he's fucking ambitious all right just wait On May 10th, 2013, Toronto Police and Peel Regional Police in a neighboring district both contacted the Hamilton Police Department about a man matching the description of carrying a small satchel with a wrist tattoo of the word ambition. So these two police departments are like, hey, I I got your guy. Like not even random people. Police departments are like, yo, I got your guy. I Mm -hmm. know who this is. Kind of like we've seen him too. His name? Okay. Dallin Millard. Around the same time, an employee of an aviation company called Millard Air saw the news about Tim and his truck uh, missing and recognized it as the same truck that was now sitting in the hangar at his work. He called and reported this to Crime Stoppers. At the time, police did not yet know who the second man was, but felt this was enough information. And after tailing him for about four hours, they arrested Dellen Millard on May 11th, 2013, in connection with the disappearance of Tim Bosma. He was charged with forcible confinement and theft over $5,000 because, of course, we don't have any evidence at this point. The name of that charge creeps me out. Forcible confinement. Forcible confinement just sounds like... Because, I mean, yes, it, it is essentially a form of kidnapping temporarily, usually, is what it is. But the idea of forcible confinement as someone who has, like, mild claustrophobia. It's terrible. <gasps> Terrifying. Everything about that, ver- the wording to that, just makes my That's skin fair. crawl. That is fair. So the police arrest Dellen. Tim's wife, Charlene, at this point is hopeful that finding the man meant that she would be reunited with her husband. Like, she's assuming they're yeah. holding him hostage somewhere. It's gonna, they're gonna, He's going to come back. Her nightmare is going to be over. Unfortunately, however, Tim's black 2007 Dodge Ram was found the next day on May 12, 2013, inside a large travel trailer on Dellen Millard's mother's property in Kleinberg, Ontario. The trailer was registered to a business owned by Dellen. The truck had been stripped, but the investigators were able to find gunshot residue and traces of blood confirmed to be Tim's inside the vehicle. It was determined that Tim more than likely died of a gunshot wound to the head, though at the time they had no body or remains. Police also released a statement that although the truck was found on her property, Dellen's mother had no knowledge or involvement. Okay. So that's fair. I mean, I think a lot of people's parents stuff is found in their home or on their property and they had no idea. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. Sorry. And I wasn't laughing at anything that you were saying necessarily about this case. I always just think it's interesting when a statement says we're confident this is how the person died, but we don't have their body or a weapon or this or that. And you're like, 
How though? But then you think like, how obvious is this exact vehicle looking that I have a pretty good idea of what that vehicle is going to look like based on that example? I mean, maybe just based on gunshot residue, blood spatter patterns where the blood in the truck. Is. That's what I was yeah. yeah, yeah. But I always just think it's so interesting and when they say it so confidently being like, this right. is what we think happened, but we don't have a body or remains or this. I just think it's fascinating what we can figure out and do and say confidently. Yeah. Nobody, no crime. It's crazy. Nobody, no crime. <laughs> Hi, friends. If you like what you hear and you want to get even more content from us, we're officially live on Patreon. Patreon is a subscription service where you can get early access to our regular episodes, get bonus episodes, live Q&A sessions, and more. Visit the link in this episode description to learn more and sign up. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Podcast by Proxy. Katie and I are so appreciative of every single one of you for being here with us. If you want to support us even more, don't forget to hit the follow button wherever you're listening and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Growing the show means we will be able to invest more time into bringing you more stories like the one you're hearing today. Hey everyone, I'm Shelby Nanke, host of Addicted to Crime podcast. Join me for true crime cases that will leave you wide awake scratching your head at night. I have a passion for victims and love getting lesser known cases the attention that they deserve. Addicted to Crime podcast is available anywhere you get your podcast, And feel free to check out our website, addictedtocrime.org. I hope I find myself in your ear holes soon. Until next time, stay safe. Okay, so who is Della Millard? That's the million dollar question. Yeah. Dellen was born on August 30th, 1985, into a very wealthy Canadian aviation family, the Millards. He is named after his grandmother, Dell. He is the only child of Wayne Millard and Madeline Burns. Wayne was a pilot and the son of Carl Millard, who started his own charter airline called Millard Air in 1963, based out of the Toronto Pearson International Airport. Prior to that, Carl was a pilot for TransCanada Airlines, which later became Air Canada. Madeline is a flight attendant who met Wayne while working for Air Canada while he was piloting for the airline as well. Dellen's grandfather, Carl Millard, is known for being a trailblazer in the charter airline industry. He invented a way to get jittery racehorses onto planes using sloped enclosed ramps, and he also flew the Toronto Symphony Orchestra on a grand tour through the north, bringing classical music to remote parts of Canada. Wow. Dellen's... Right? Isn't that cool? That's pretty cool, He's yeah. a really neat guy, actually. Dellen's a and piece of shit. And I love horses. But he comes from a neat family. And I think family. bringing music places is amazing. So, yeah, you guys are really cool. Both of those. Well, and think about it. This is at the time, this is at a time before streaming, before all that. Music wasn't just accessible everywhere like it is now. So no, that would it had have been to be quite brought in. Yeah, it would have been quite like revolutionary to just be able to bring new music to northern, quite remote areas of the country. Yeah. Dylan's father, Wayne, uh, who learned to fly on his own father's lap at the age of five, followed Carl into the family business, but as the planes began to age and become outdated, the family was unwilling to make the large investment to replace them. The airline company peaked in the 1970s, and by 1990, the flying stopped ceasing operations of Millard Air, and the business shifted to parts, sales, and aircraft maintenance business under the name Millard Air Incorporated. As a result of this, Dellen grew up surrounded by wealth and airplanes and started flying with his dad at the age of six, saying he can remember sitting on big stacks of cushions beside him, though as he got older, it was clear he didn't have the same passion for airplanes as his father and grandfather. I grew up at five years old sitting on my dad's lap to drive an old beat up Ford. That would have literally been the equivalent of what he was doing. Like it was normal for you to drive on your dad's lap on a Ford. It was normal for him to just be in an airplane as a child. Or to ride on lawnmower. I was or a that. big fan of the ride on lawnmower as a kid. Yeah. He just grew up jam. in that bougie lifestyle. He probably has a tennis court too. Oh, he's got a few, I'm sure. Not anymore. Madeline and Wayne divorced in 1996 when Dellen was 11, which he was said to have taken hard. He still lived an incredibly privileged, 
life, however, and by 1999, on its 14th birthday, Dellen actually set a world record for being the youngest Canadian to fly solo in both an airplane and a helicopter on the same day at the Brampton Flying Club. His, uh, his grandfather, sorry, Carl, was quoted on the same day to the Canadian press saying, it's in the blood, it's an addiction. It's like, calm down. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Florida he got a world record when he was 14. Which is super duper cool. And honestly, being able to fly a helicopter sounds so much cooler than an airplane to me. Yeah, that's fair. So the fact that he was doing both sounds really neat. I have no interest in flying either. I have a cousin who's a pilot, though. And he, like, literally wanted to be a pilot since he was a child. Yeah, everybody I know, because I know three people that have either taken flying lessons on their own as, like, a passion and one person that has become a pilot. And they all say it's something they've been into since they can remember. Yeah. Like, I literally I it's remember. Like people who work on trains. Yeah, like, I literally. Obsessed with trains. Remember him in, like, airplane pajamas when we were little kids. And, like, never gave up that dream, which I think is so cool. Was he ever a flight attendant in the process? No, never. Like, do you have to get air time? Okay. Yeah, you have to get fly time, but you can get that in school or you have to pay for it. You actually yeah, pay I know you have to, to well, fly. Well, the gas for the flights. Yeah. 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 But he is a charter pilot now for like FedEx, which is really cool. Sweet. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Way to pandemic proof yourself. Hey, like I became a pilot for essential resources. <laughs> yeah, because like, yeah, obviously airplanes are kind of like piloting passengers right now is kind of up in the air. But, but you work for FedEx at the holidays. You're making ch- money. Chartering stuff. You're never going to be out of a job. OK, no. World record at 14. Let's do yeah. this. Dylan attended an elite private school known as Toronto French School. He was mostly known for being, I guess you could call it quirky. Um, classmates note in grade six and seven that Dylan would walk around school grounds carrying a box of bone-shaped dog treats, like milk bones, basically, like and milk eating bones, them. Yeah, he just ate them. <laughs> Maybe he, like the crunch. I don't know. God, he, leave him yeah, alone. He would respond to their reactions with a shrug and say that they tasted good. Which, and like, maybe they did. Okay. Maybe you know what? Did. There's some dog treats that smell like real beef jerky. And I'm like, I could see why people get confused. <laughs> like old people. I don't have that problem, thankfully. Well, you don't eat meat, so. Exactly. Fair. So other than that, though, in a place where kids came from, like, quite wealthy backgrounds, the norm was to wear high-end trendy outfits. Dellen dressed how many would describe, like, a farmer or a hillbilly in their words, not my words. Who's frumpy. Yeah, a classmate said that he, like, you would never have known that he was wealthy. His father dropped him off in an old pickup truck, which, like, really lent to the farmer persona. But I just want to say that it's very well known that many super wealthy people own average vehicles and live very average lifestyles. And that's how they yeah. get and stay wealthy. Like, that's how you get rich and stay yeah, rich. Yeah, they don't blow the money. Yeah, so they they're just doing rich. other things with their money. So that's not really that. Like buying strange. airplanes, parts. Exactly. And reselling them. Yeah, and like building million dollar businesses. You know, airplanes aren't cheap, people. Yeah. As he got older and left high school, Dellen had a difficult time settling in a life direction. Uh, he briefly enrolled in culinary school, and apparently he also took up photography, which ended up with him doing a shoot for the Suicide Girls. I don't remember if you, rem- I don't know if you remember I Suicide remember Girls, but are. I totally did. Suicide Girls uh, is an yeah. online community-based website that revolves around pinup photography sets of models known as the Suicide Girls. The website I follow was... them on Instagram. Oh, do you? Okay. I didn't, yeah. but I totally remembered like the MySpace days of that era. The yeah. website was founded in 2001 by Selena Mooney and Sean Soul. It's very much still active and running, as well as obviously social media pages, OnlyFans subscriptions, etc. So Dellen did like a photo it's shoot. It's like thing your for pinup them. girl with tattoos that's kind of a badass, which I mean, I think is just super cool. Yeah, it is awesome. Dylan also began to grow a relentless desire for thrill-seeking. 
In 2011, with co-driver Andrew Macholsky, Dylan competed in the Baja 500 Desert Off-Road Race in Mexico. He frequently cool. went skydiving. He would do things like jump off rooftops at pool parties. He also became very, like, playboy, bachelor lifestyle. Um, most of his friends would more so be considered followers who, like, worshipped so him than actual friends. I mean, yeah. He was Hefner. just kind of turning into, like, rich boy douche, you know. That's all I can I bet he wore two polos when he could. Both colors pop. And like white sunglasses for sure. (laughs) Dylan met a man named Mark Smitch in 2006, and initially the friendship would be described as being one sided. They bonded over video games and weed. Mark absolutely worshipped Dylan, but we will find out that most people in his circle felt this way. While Dellen couldn't really stand them, like he just liked having people on his side that would he do whatever. He wanted to be a cult leader. Yeah, essentially, he just liked having people that would do whatever he told them to do because he had money. Okay, that's just who he is, I guess. Yeah, pretty much. But by 2011, the two had developed a real friendship, and in 2012, Mark and his girlfriend Marlena moved into the basement suite of the 1.2 million dollar. Etobicoke, Ontario home that Dellen shared with his father, Wayne. Around the same time, Dellen started arranging for his friends, followers, whatever, to accompany him on what he called missions, which were basically just nighttime excursions to steal shit. Like, he would just be like, oh, mission tonight, and then go out and steal people's bobcat construction equipment. Lawnmowers. But like, on video? Like, he would steal whole get trees. get people to meet him. And do it together. No, no, no. Get people to meet him and do it together. Like he needed. Okay, I thought accomplice. you meant like he was saying he was gonna do it, and then he was no. going and doing it and like Instagram living it. I was like, well, that's no, just no, no, no. He just like <laughs> needed his people to help him perform his missions. It's just weird okay. in general. Yeah. Okay. He literally stole people's entire trees, whole trees. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what kind of trees were they? And like, obviously. Friends said these missions were entirely for the thrill because Dylan had plenty of money and if he actually wanted any of the stuff, he could have just bought it himself. Yeah, why not? Just go pick it up. Go to your local nursery and get your own damn trees. (laughs) Support local, Dylan. Although I'll be honest, I've seen a few Chinese maples I've wanted to pick out of people's yards, so. But you didn't, and that's the important part. I didn't. That's that's really where. People's boundaries Mm -hmm. that's where the line is like a fence so mark smitch had essentially the complete opposite upbringing of dellen he was born august 13th 1987 to an incredibly middle class family mark had a long history with the justice system he was convicted of drug possession in 2005 and 2006 for failing to comply twice in 2006 breach of probation and for impaired driving in 2009 he also faced a charge of mischief Winner. for allegedly spraying in a highway overpass. We also don't know much about Mark Smith. Mark Smith. That's a really hard word to say a lot Is of times over. Is it Mitch with an S at the beginning? Smith. Essentially. Yes, but I yeah, just can't weird. do it. Yeah. Can we just call him Mark Snitch? <laughs> yes. We don't know a ton about him. More fun. We do know that he was an aspiring rapper. Oh, aren't they all? Yeah. Uh, his they're aspiring mostly just the rapper though that's yeah that one always gets me his parents also split up when he was young he has two sisters i mean he's the perfect person to be going on these missions right like he's got the rap sheet to go with it yes who's the tall man with the man bag and the ambition tattoo who's the short fatty well we know dellen had the tattoo and the satchel so he's the tall guy true okay okay yeah. i just need to clarify because i didn't remember <laughs> so all the short one is mark the fat oh my god they're like the guys from the movie waiting like you know the <laughs> two losers that are in the dumpster like doing whippets and trying to be aspiring rappers <laughs> oh my goodness ah, shoot comment on the post if you agree that that's who they're gonna turn out to be i wish you could be. comment like gifts on instagram because that would be funny Mark made his money selling drugs and cigarettes and occasionally worked odd jobs at Dellen Millard's hangar, which is basically the building where you keep aircrafts. I think most of us know what an airplane hangar is. Yeah, it's yeah. a very, very, very big garage. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. For an airplane. For airplanes. Mm-hmm. So we are going to come back to Mark, but we're going to 
go back to Dellen momentarily. Okay. <laughs> Among the list of luxuries that Dellen owned by the age of 27 was a fleet of luxury cars, including a 1970 Chevy Nova, a luxury 1975 convertible Oldsmobile Delta 88, a Jeep TJ, and a factory MK3 hot rod. His daily what? driver was a GMC Yukon, and he admits that he has a preference for American cars, which seems he got from his grandfather. Yeah, he's totally just, like, rich boy balling out. And he drives... I mean, I don't really blame him that most people do the same thing. Like, they have, like, a Suburban as their day-to-day right. use, just to show, like, I am rich. Yeah, But I am carefully rich. Mm-hmm. Um, that is ridiculous. Oh, yeah. So, he has, like, a million dollars in cars sitting there. Yep, but he's stealing a 2007 Dodge Ram. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That, by the sounds of it, is owned by a very average Joe and probably in very worn, regular, lived-in condition. Yeah, and just wait till you find out why he stole the Dodge Ram. It won't come up until probably trials, but just you friggin' wait. I know bits and pieces about this, and I think I know, and it... Made me blow a gasket. I mean, there's no good reason for it. Not that any reason would have been like, oh, that's fine. But it's just, it's heinous. But you know what? When you hear of someone saying, I stole something because I needed the money to feed my kids, you have a little bit of an easier time narrowing or like widening the lens that you look at it with Mm -hmm. than when someone does it for an insignificant, stupid reason. I just more mean there would have been no good reason for him to ever do it. Like, you didn't know the money. You did you have not have the means. Like, no, there would have been no good reason. Nope, not at all. Dellen also owned the $1.2 million Etobicoke family home that he occupied with his father, which was previously owned by his grandparents. He owned a condo bought for $500,000, a $2 million residential rental property, and a 100-acre farm that he paid $835,000 cash for in May of 2011. In May of 2013, just one day after Tim Bosma disappeared, Dellen also finalized the purchase of a $627,000 condo in Toronto's distillery district. Lawyers involved in facilitating the deal say that it was in the works prior to Tim going missing. The distillery historic district opened in 2003, and today it is widely regarded as Canada's premier arts, culture, and entertainment destination. The distillery district is described as, quote, an inspired blend of Victorian industrial architecture and stunning uh, 21st century design and creativity. The result is an internationally acclaimed village of -of one-of-a-kind stores, shops, galleries, studios, restaurants, cafes, theaters, and more. Like, (laughs) it's so bougie. Um, A day after you stole... Some nice dude's 2007 dog. Like, look what I bought. I just thought I would treat myself. Yeah. Fuck off, buddy. He's okay. such an asshole. Yep. The also, one... who buys three different homes in one year? In 2011, it sounds like he bought three different homes. Rich people. But, like, one a year is, like, I think more normal for rich people. At three in a year, they audit him. For... They're looking for those assets, honey. Audit him. (laughs) Oh, man. Okay. The 100-acre farm that Dellen acquired back in May of 2011 was located on Roseville Drive in North Dumfries, Ontario. This was approximately a 20-minute drive south of Waterloo International Airport, which is where his father Wayne had been building a brand-new state-of-the-art airplane hangar to start a business called Millard Air MRO. Wayne was starting up Millarder MRO described as, quote, a new provider for aircraft maintenance, repair, and overhaul service. It was slated to have the largest hangar at the Waterloo International Airport with plans to employ 40 to 90 people. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So Dellen bought this property close by. Kind of makes sense. There was no house on the farm, though, so I don't know if his original plan was to, like, build on it because it was essentially this, Mm -hmm. like, massive 100 acre property where you could like yeah atv through and shit and it had like a couple of actual barns on it it looked like somebody prior but would it have had like plumbing and heating and electricity run out there at that point i'm sure you could yeah but i'm saying like if it wasn't there that's also a huge time consumer that building the house might not be yeah 
When you got money, you got money. True, they're probably both getting built at the same time. Yeah. Tragically, before the business launched, on November 29th, 2012, Dellen's father, Wayne Millard, was found dead in his bed at the family home at 5 Maple Gate Court with a single gunshot wound through his eye. At the time, him and Dellen were living at the home together. Dellen told police when he was interviewed on the day um, his father was found dead that he came home and found his dad in his bedroom at 6.30 p.m. The last time he had seen him was the previous day at around noon. Oh, I can see your face. Just you wait. Mm -hmm. Katie's making a face that is similar to everyone else's current face. Dellen says that he saw his dad laying in bed, dead with blood on the pillow. Then he then left the room, called his mother Madeline. He's instead he didn't call nine one one. He called his mother, who had divorced this man like twenty years prior. Oh, okay. So I forgot about that. I was gonna say I know in sometimes panic, kids call the other parent, but sure, that would make sense. If they're not even together. They divorced 20 years ago. That wouldn't be your natural instinct anymore, so no. Yeah, so he... And I mean, if your parents are still close, I don't know. Again, we don't know what we would do, so I'm going to let that one fly for now. He says Madeline became irate, screaming on the phone, and he stayed on the line with her until she arrived around 10 minutes later. She went into the home alone for about 10 minutes before coming back outside to where Dylan was, and then they called 911. I mean, I'm going to hope that she walked out there after the shock, um, the immediate right. shock walk, and went, like, you already called 911, right? Like, it wasn't her that right. was like, yeah. wait, before we, give me a minute before we call 911, you know? No, for sure. Yeah. The police interview with Dylan the, the night after his father was found lasted about 55 minutes, and two detectives um, or interviewing him. The entire video is available to watch online. I can link it in the episode show notes if that's something you're interested in. Dylan talks about how his father was depressed, um, incredibly stressed, trying to get the new company up and running. He also spoke about his father's alcohol consumption, saying that he didn't want to call him an alcoholic, but that he did drink every day. Detective, I don't want to call him an alcoholic, right? but he was an alcoholic. Yeah, absolutely, like, laying, like laying the plot for suicide. frequently if that was the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I mean, I don't think it is, but... Yeah. Detective James Hutchin was one of the detectives that interviewed Dylan and was surprised by how calm he was. Like, he had an incredibly calm demeanor, especially since his mother had been so distraught over the discovery of Wayne. Okay, hear me out, guys. I know we can't judge people on their grief and their shock, but can we just all agree that too calm is a red flag? Yeah. Too hysterical, I get, almost. Like, anything in hysteria and kind of calm, I get, but too calm? Remember, like, we just said about Scott Peterson. Immediately, the cops were like, no, this calmness is too weird. There was a vibe. And often... I'm sure as a cop, what because all you can really look for is behavior that doesn't match how somebody is supposed to feel, right? Like, you can't actually get mm-hmm. inside the head of these people, so all you can really go on as something that you're trained to look for is, is this person behaving how we think they should be behaving? No? Yeah, Red based flag. on what we've seen and what we know, yeah. there are certain parameters of grief and stress that we see frequently or shock. Is this person matching them? And are their words and their actions actually matching? Yeah, so, like, is somebody's reaction uh, a telltale sign of their guilt? No. Is it smart that we do use that as an indicator of starting to stack up? Yeah. Yeah, like, along with other things. Yeah, it makes sense. It's human behavior. 100%. Coroner Dr. David Evans examined Wayne Millard and ruled his death a suicide two days after he was found. The cause of death was a bullet that went through the left eye and lodged in the back of the right side of the brain. An injury I call like, bullshit. You call bullshit on the suicide? I don't know anyone that would shoot themselves in the eye. Right. Okay. So we will get there. An injury like this through the eye into the back of the brain would have caused death within seconds. Uh, the coroner indicated that based on the trajectory of the bullet, the position of Wayne's left hand and powder marks on the pillow... He felt the death was consistent with a suicide. The pathologist also noted that Wayne's liver was fatty and inflamed, most likely the result of alcohol abuse. 
The coroner's report okay. states uh, a, quote, reasonable chance of his death being suicide, but did add that he had never seen a bullet through the eye on a suicide before, quote, pathologist Katie. Nobody wants to look down the barrel of something they're about to do that's terrible to themselves. You put it to your temple, the side of your head, your mouth, you close your eyes. That just, I've never seen a shot through the eye. It defies human logic. And, and I love coroner stuff, as mm-hmm. you know. It totally defies uh-uh. anything bullshit. that you would do. Yeah. I also have huge eyes. I'm very into eye stuff. <laughs> no, nope, wouldn't happen. I love that you were immediately like through the eye. No. Uh-uh. Not it. Dr. Evans also advised Detective Hutchin early on that the suicide appeared like it could be suspicious. Detective Hutchin then notified the homicide department and was told that nobody would go to the scene that night, but would follow up in the morning. The death was ultimately ruled a suicide and the case was closed. That's Mm -hmm. not how that works with crime scenes, people. Mm -hmm. They're like, like, yeah, sorry, no. Well, you know, I might be able to squeeze it in tomorrow, but if not... We'll just close the case. It's fine. Yeah, I don't know. I'm sure there's protocols in terms of, you know, if the coroner says it's a suicide, if you have, you know, bodies that are needed elsewhere. I'm not sure, but it was closed. Suicide. Chibang. I want to interview a coroner, like a true coroner. Um, If you're day. a coroner and you're listening to this podcast, please reach out to us. We would love to interview please. you. Thanks. Please. After Wayne Millard died... Dylan became the chief officer of Millard Air and brought on his mother, Madeline, to be the corporate officer. He halted operations on the new business his father was starting and began laying off staff as well as canceled a key certificate the company had with Transport Canada. He put the new hangar at Waterloo up for lease and started storing his cars and helicopters and toys there. He basically just used it as his own glorious personal storage. Mm -hmm. Okay. Dellen also received a massive inheritance, including the family home that he shared with his father. For the most part, the home was transformed into a bachelor party pad for him and his friends, and he was said to throw lavish wild parties pretty regularly. There was like, you literally walk in, there's nothing on the wall, there's like mattresses on the floor, TVs, computers, gaming consoles, like everywhere for him and his friends to just like sit around and watch TV and play video games. It's straight up a 10-bedroom home man cave. That's what it, that is what it turned into. His, like, grandfather's family home. Yeah, I mean, it sounds fun to go be a guest in and experience. I think it does. When I was 21, maybe. That's what I I mean. This guy still is like a frat boy. Put up a picture or something. Man, if I, if any girl was dating this guy, come on. Oh my god, horrible. Horrible sound quality. So we're going to jump back a bit now that we've met Dylan Millard and Mark Smitch. Back back or back forward? Back to Tim, the truck, the investigation. Day. Okay. Yes. So we know that the police found Tim Bosma's truck on the property of Dylan Millard's mother, Madeline, in a vehicle trailer on May 12th. The Hamilton Police Department and the OPP, the Ontario Police, <laughs> launch a joint investigation and begin searching the 100-acre farm that Dellen owned. They set up uh, tents on the property. They're seen riding horseback throughout the property, conducting searches. This is a massive area. Like Bringing they just, in horses again. They literally, literally oh, set up circle. camp. I wonder yeah. if they were flown in on that fancy tunnel his grandpa made for transporting <laughs> oh horses. Oh, my God. <laughs> They were probably just driven in. They're in rural Ontario. I don't think there's any shortage of horses. No, not at all. (laughs) So as they're conducting these searches, they eventually come across a man on a dirt bike named Chaz Main, who says that he rides there regularly, but had never actually met Dellen. That's my grandpa's name. Really? Chaz? Chaz. I kind of like it. Chaz had seen all the camera flashes and police lights and rode over to ask, basically, like, what's going on? The police ask him if he had ever seen anything weird or suspicious on the property, and he mentions that actually he has. Just two days prior, on May 10th, 2013, Chaz was riding around the property when he came across what he described as a, quote, big redneck smoker on a trailer in the middle of the tree line. 
It was so strange to him that he took a photo of it because he said nobody would believe him that there was a brand new trailer and a big redneck smoker in the middle of the bush. Super strange. Mm -hmm. I'll post the picture. It's like really creepy. The man showed police to the location of the smoker, which had the word eliminator sprayed in red on the back of it. Ugh. Yeah. Sergeant Ben Adams from the Hamilton police said that at this point he came, became immediately concerned about the situation. With him on scene was Sergeant Annette Puise. I'm going to just call her Sergeant Annette Puise? because Huise, H-U-Y-S. I should have probably Googled or figured out how to say that before we got here today, but Sergeant Annette. She approached the so-called smoker and noticed that on the side of it, it was labeled as an industrial livestock incinerator. So this it's is, to cremate horses and cows with. Yeah, it's literally a livestock okay. cremation machine. Yeah. There's no livestock kept on this farmland. Not a single oink. Or moo. Or moo. Or anything alive. Can I get That you would need this for. Can I get a moo? Okay. So, Sergeant Annette was worried that there might be someone inside of it. She was a forensic investigator, so she climbed to the main hatch and opened it. And when she got inside, she found only bones and fragments, with the largest being about 20 centimeters long. At the she time... Got inside? She, Ew. Yeah. She wasn't sure at the time if the bones were human or animal. The total weight of the remains found and recovered from the incinerator was 503 grams or roughly one pound. It's like 1.1 mm -hmm. pound. Yeah, it's a small amount. So the remains were identified as human. Um, there wasn't enough left over to identify Tim via DNA or dental records. But even without the positive ID, the police were pretty confident that the remains that they found belonged to Tim Bosma. And they announced to the public on May 13th, 2013, that Tim's remains were found, quote, burned beyond recognition. This is the only info that they released to the public about the remains found at this time. They only say that he was burned beyond recognition. Okay. At this point, Dallin Millard's charges are upgraded to first degree murder. Makes sense. Yeah. After Tim's remains are found and the police arrest Dellen for first-degree murder, they continue executing the search warrant of his farm and several of his other properties, including his home. On May 20th, 2013, the police announce once again that they have found another set of remains on the 27-year-old's farmland and would need to determine once again whether these remains were animal or human. On well, now, are they actually Tim's, or are they someone else's? or And, and not just inappropriate, but did they break down Tim's body and his part bit here and part of it incinerated? Like, you just never know. I think the assumption at this point, based on where the remains were found, is that it's a second person. Okay. Yeah. Ooh. I mean, so did I, but I just mean more the fact that now you're like, oh, shit, well, that was that Tim then, or is this Tim? Totally. Yeah. yeah. I think because Ooh. the first set of remains were found in the incinerator, which you would assume means that it was done recently, whereas the second set was found, like, away from it in, like, a separate mm -hmm. burn pile. Like, already burned, taken out of the incinerator, put yeah. over there and so someone new could be put in. Exactly. Oh, I, sound, I feel horrible saying that. It sounds it's, so callous. Yeah, it's really horrible. But yeah. And they also found like a crashed um, bobcat construction equipment type thing in like a ditch, which um, they confirmed, I'm pretty sure, to be like a stolen one from one of his missions. Yeah, probably the one he stole yeah. on one of those. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. On May 21st, okay. 2013, investigators announced that the second set of remains found on the farm were indeed human and that they would be reopening the investigations into both the death of Dylan Millard's father, Wayne Millard, and a former romantic interest who previously disappeared almost two years prior, Laura Babcock. On May 22nd, the police arrested Mark Smitch and he is charged with first degree murder in the death of Tim Bosma. This is where I'm going to leave you this week. That's where we're going to stop. When we come back next week, we're going to discuss 
Who is Laura Babcock? What happened to Laura Babcock? What happened when the police reopened these investigations? We're going to cover a lot of court trials. It might be a long one next week, but we are going to make it two parts. I'm not doing three. Uh, bring your snacks and also your pillows to scream in because this one is a ride. But I think that's a good spot to end off because... I that's an amazing spot, actually, because we're right at the hour mark. <laughs> we'll edit this up and we will get the other part out as quickly as possible. I have to finish writing it first, so I'll do my best. <laughs> well, you know, it's scheduled anyway, so if nothing else, you know when it'll be out. <laughs> yeah, totally. Okay. But no, love it. I think that was great. And we will see you guys next week. See you next week. I'll call you soon. Okay. Okay. Bye. 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 How do I stop this shit? I'll stop it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fuck me.